on this episode of Why Watch That. It's Let's time for candied yams. That's where candy? we are. <laughs> candy, candy, candy yams. yams. <laughs> that Scottish, Scottish play, play we say in theater circles. I am in theater and I don't say it. I'll say Macbeth and so does Denzel Washington, by the way. So we'll, Denzel we'll don't see care it. about that. You got birds and fabric, foreground and background, close-ups, walls and hallways, light, shadow, mist, sand, and liquid. He's a master of layering entanglement on top of entanglement on top of entanglement until they cannot be disentangled. We're not talking about- Oh, goodness. The other kind of entanglement. <laughs> what Everybody in the about? world knew those critics were wrong from the commercial. <laughs> The yes. critics shouldn't even have reviewed it. They should have just taken the day off. Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head to head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why, Why Watch, watch That. that. Critic? Yes. Critic! What? Have you heard? We just got a buy me a coffee page. <laughs> What's that? Boy, come on. It's a place where listeners can support our work for as little as $5. $5. Pretty much the price of a coffee. I don't drink no coffee. What you talking about? Well, you don't drink anything but water <laughs> and eat raw potatoes. But... <laughs> I guess they can buy you a popcorn. How about that? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, everyone, look, visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that to support our work or purchase our valuable resources. Yeah, you know what? We just added the TV trackers to help you curate a collection of shows you'll love to watch. So find this and more ways to support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. So, Critic, are you going to buy me a coffee? Maybe. The Why Watch That Talk. Well, it's the holiday season. It's the holiday. I like that song. Wait a minute. So do I. Hickory. He'll be coming down the chimney down. Okay, enough of that. Oh. We are full-fledged into the holiday season. And you know what that means. Normally, everybody's out running around, grabbing whatever they can for whatever holiday they celebrate. However, Hollywood wants to slow you down. They want you to take a breath and they want you to sit in a theater or in the comforts of your own home. And so that is what this episode is about. What is out there? especially as the award season wraps up. I mean, we've got some star-studded stars in what we're about to talk about. Stuff we've seen way back in January to stuff we just watched to plays being transported into whatever device you have. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 absolutely redonkulous all the stuff we've got jam-packed. So I think we should hop in because we have just been throwing potatoes at the critic 
<laughs> and he's just been watching his heart out. Yes. I'll dip it in and out. But um, it's, it's let's time go. for candied yams. That's where candied, we are. <laughs> candied, candied, candied yams. yams. <laughs> Get the critics some candied yams, mom. Yes. Okay. Let's start with TV because that's really what's going on here. I mean, normally if you turn on your TV right now, you're going to see a lot of holiday specials, <laughs> people's live performances and, and all of that. But there is a series that did start in the middle of the holiday. What? Yeah. Um, and it's highly anticipated because mm. Paramount Plus has had great success with its latest we're going to call it a franchise. Now we literally yeah. can Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And that's that, um, you know, Kevin Costner. Yeah. Uh, can TV I say something show. on that ref? Just sure. to, to be clear to everybody for Yellowstone, it is on Paramount network. Everyone, mm-hmm. you can't find it on Paramount plus. So if you haven't started Yellowstone and you're interested, you actually have to go to Peacock for the first three seasons Season four is now on Paramount Network. Huh. So the rest of the things we're talking about from Taylor Sheridan are Paramount Plus. I'm going to say it again. Old Yellowstone Peacock, current Paramount Network. If we're talking about anything else, Mayor of Kingstown, what the ref is about to introduce, Paramount Plus. Yes. Wait, so you can see the current Yellowstone on... Peacock. Oh, current is no, on no, Paramount no, 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 Network. no, no. I'm talking about mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, current. Mm-hmm. But if you have um, shows like Fire, or if you have a device like Philo and things like that, if you pay for that, you can actually watch all of that. It's bundled into one nice little package. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how you're accessing as to where you can watch it. But 1883 <laughs> is the new iteration of the newest property to the Yellowstone um, dynasty. Let's call it that because why not? Isn't Kevin Costner really JR? Um, (laughs) It is on Paramount Plus. And again, as you alluded to, this comes to us from Taylor Sheridan. It is, or his world and mind. It is a prequel to Yellowstone. So if you've been watching Yellowstone, you hear them always refer to how they got the land and the, this and, you know, what happened on the land and, you know, the history. Land, land, land. Look, my land, you're not coming on my land. I don't want you near my yes. land. But my how did that happen? Yeah. How? How did Pappy and Grandpappy get this land? Well, yeah. you have watched the first couple of episodes of this premiere. It's about 10 episodes on Paramount Plus, again, exclusively on that you're not going to find that on Peacock or anything else explained unless you have something like Philo or something like that, where you can kind of binge it all. Mm -hmm. This is um, Taylor Sheridan is EPing and, you know, diving into the world as he does. He's, he's definitely steering the ship when it comes to the world of, I can't think of what their last name is, but anyway, that the Duttons Um, and, you know, who knows? We could go into the future. We can go anywhere at this point. But again, <laughs> this is all in Montana. So a lot of times people, you know, they're like, oh, this is how this is a Western. Well, I mean, Westerns can be in the north, I guess. But it does have its sensibilities. Yeah, this is definitely a Western. 
um, and and closer to what we think of as a classic Western, uh, because it's obviously the year 1883. It starts off, uh, we look at Sam Elliott's uh, family. So he plays Shay Brennan and his wife and daughter, they don't make it. So from the opening, you see that what's happened. Now, he and LaMonica Garrett's character, Thomas, they are employed by the Pinkerton Agency. And what they do is they're going to lead an expedition from Texas to Montana or wherever else. They're going west on the Oregon Trail. Okay? So you remember from- playing that as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> Love the Oregon Trail. Yes. And they're going to Montana. <laughs> to get to the mountains. Why? There are a group of immigrants who need to be in the mountains because that's where they can thrive. Now, they've immigrated. Can they speak the language, English? How are they going to communicate? And are these people helpless? Because this is not like a safe thing. You can't just travel. You get your wagon trail going from Texas to Montana. You got to have people who can, you know, protect you, uh, your possessions and so on from any kind of marauders that might be on the prowl. Now, in this same place in Texas, we're in Fort Worth, a family has uh, decided to travel there because they're going west as well. And they're coming from Tennessee. And it is the Duttons. Yes, the family of, you know, the same family from Yellowstone. And this would be uh, John Dutton, if we're thinking about him, Kevin Costner's character, his great grandparents, Mm -hmm. and so on. Now they are played by Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Okay, for those of us who are like, what? Yes. Are you saying the literal recording artists? Yes, I am. Where are you Christmas? Love that song. So they're they're married in real life, by the way. My world is changing. Yes. And they this is not the first time they've acted, if you haven't been paying attention. They have acting credits. So they play James and Margaret. And they do have an outspoken oldest daughter, Elsa, played by Isabel May, who, by the way, Isabel was in Young Sheldon. She was Georgie's, well, the girlfriend he wanted. And she was religious and all of that. Oh, well, she turned religious. She sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how religious is she in this show? Let me tell you something. Because opening in the opening, we see a scene with her and some indigenous folk, and it is violent. This is Taylor Sheridan. Yes. And, you know, one of them speaks English and she looks at him as like, hey, but you speak English. She's like, so do you. Oh, don't now. So she is on the train from Tennessee to Texas to meet up with daddy. Mama's there and daddy's uh, sister is there with her daughter. Now, why is his sister traveling with this family? What happened? And the daughter, where's the husband? Hmm. Now, when it comes to Elsa, she has a mind of her own. She's 17, but she acts like she's 27. And mama is looking at her like, you're going to have to listen to me. But does she? Her aunt, 
has other ways of getting the communication through. I'll put it that way. So there's a lot of tension going on there. And of course, they finally make it to Texas to meet up with dad. What's that like? What are their lodgings? And how are they also going to make it to Montana? Now, you know, all of these people are going to come together. How? Because when it comes to James Dutton, again, played by Tim McGraw, don't mess with him. He traveled to Texas alone. And you want to come for him? He got something for you. Okay? So, we see how he has to protect his family in different ways. You'll see that. You got women folk. But can these women folk handle themselves as well? Now, he loves his daughter, Elsa. And, you know, he's a little more doting on her than Mama. Because Mama's like, uh... She doesn't say this, but this is what we're thinking as modern audiences. It's 1883, okay? There's certain realities you got to deal with. So all of this happens. Things happen, I won't tell you, where they all meet, you know, Shay Brennan and, and, of course, Thomas working for the Pinkertons, trying to get all of these immigrants across to Montana. There are other cowboys who are involved that they try to employ because they need help protecting these people because they like they don't even know how to ride a horse. And then, of course, you have the Duttons who come into this. So in the end, the question is, is everybody going to be safe and sound? Will everybody make it to the mountains of Montana? And when they get there, what are they going to find? Now, for Yellowstone, if I go back to that, I watched all of season one and into season two, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And The reason I lasted that long is because Taylor Sheridan, I just respect him so much. I'm a huge fan of his work. So the problem with Yellowstone to me is execution. It's not story. And actually, Raph, I started watching it again. And I was just like, it's off. It is off. Well, you know, love it. Mm -hmm. Things start to shift and change, especially like who's steering and who's writing and all that stuff later on. So, you know, that's the critic. And maybe perhaps if some people can push past that, maybe they're going to find something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But Mayor Kingstown, I'm I'm still enjoying it. Thank you very much. And now for 1883, this prequel, first two episodes, Raph, I watched it with my brother and we enjoyed it immensely. So what I'll tell you is here we have again from Taylor questions of morality, questions of duty, And in this show, they show us to inform us. Is it brutal? Yes. I want to follow these characters. I enjoy the cast. You'll see these these two cowboys who come up. They are just entertaining. So you get a lot of things here. If you like Westerns, if you like Taylor Sheridan's work, you've got to see this. If you are a Yellowstone Yellowstone fan, hello. I mean, that's obvious to see where it all started. And it's interesting to see the young son they have. Who is he in relation to John Dutton? Mm. Well, there you have it. That, again, is on Paramount Plus, so you can take well advantage of your subscription if you have that. However, if you don't, you will not see it aired live anywhere except for Paramount Plus. So choose wisely, Daniel Sun. All right. Now let's deal with 
another streamed. This is also another confusing if you it's not confusing if you have HBO Max. It's not right. confusing. It's confusing if you like to watch live television as it happens from your cable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's when it gets confusing. <laughs> this is the newest um HBO Max series. It is a limited series. It's Station 11. Ooh. Mm. Now, some of you may be thinking, whoa, I read that book. And is now the time to be, you know, airing something like Station 11, especially when the critic gets into what it's about? Maybe it's a matter of, remember how everyone during the first parts of the pandemic watched Contagion? And they were like, it was just, or Outbreak or something like that. We are not at that level of of, of that severity of a virus or anything that would um, put humanity in danger. But Station Eleven does explore these things. And this comes to us from Patrick Somerville. This is the guy from Maniac. And he's worked on several other projects that we love. He adapted this book into this amazing um you know, series, and I say amazing just because we're on the street, is they started filming this before the pandemic. Yeah. And had to pause and then pick it back up again. So it's quite a miracle. This is on HBO Max. And right now they're releasing a couple of episodes at a time. So it's not mm-hmm. like you just you get to drag this on over the course of you know, 10, 11 episodes, it is more about getting it out there to the masses. So you got a chance to watch the three episode premiere. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Were you freaked out? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I will say that this, I was not. And that was something I was paying attention to my own reaction. I didn't mind seeing this version of a pandemic. It didn't, bother me um now this is not the first show we've had recently about something like this i mean why the last man to sweet tooth so here we go with station 11 now we're in chicago and there is a pandemic flu it's bad like this is like wipe out almost the whole population pandemic and really there are two major timelines before the pandemic and then after, but they'll tell you when, how much before, how much after. I mean, it reaches to 20 years after. What's the world look like then? Uh, you know, that's a hard pill for a lot of watchers to swallow. <laughs> Wait a minute, you said hard pill, and we what we end with, yes, we come into <laughs> whole kinds of pills. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, it is. So, you know, look. There's a lot of greenery on the planet. I'll put it that way. 20 years later. Now, before the pandemic, we meet Jeevan. And he's a reluctantly helpful yet aimless person. And he's sitting in a theater watching a Shakespearean play. And the star of this play is, is played in the show by Gael Garcia Bernal. He's seems to be having a moment on the stage. What kind of moment? Jeevan thinks something's up. He rushes the stage. Why? What's happening? What's the outcome? And as a result of this, he meets a young actress, Kirsten. 
And they have this interesting bond because she has to get home. He tries to help her get home. Where are the parents? Where are chaperones? Now, while he's transporting her, he gets a call from his sister, Sia, who's an assertive doctor. I mean, don't mess with her. Oh, my goodness. And she tells him, hey, go to our brother's place and lock yourself in. Get everything you need. It's coming. So he gets notified of this before everybody knows. Now, his brother is a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. So sister is a doctor. Brother is this acclaimed writer. He's aimless. His sister even says to somebody, I called the brother that doesn't have the Pulitzer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for not taking Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah, it's Pulitzer. <laughs> and in the show, she says Pulitzer. I was like, oh, it's Pulitzer. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when they meet up with his brother, Frank? Who's with him? Is Kirsten? And what food does he decide to bring? Because, I mean, they go to the grocery store and there's one there's one cashier and he looks at them and it's like, uh, do you know something I don't? Should I get out of here? Now, if we shuttle forward 20 years after the pandemic, Kirsten has grown up. And young Kirsten's played by Matilda Lawler. Older Kirsten's played by Mackenzie Davis. Mm, we yes. know her. We do from the Terminator series. She's been doing from, great work. Yeah. By the Paul way, and she did fire. that. Yeah, she did that one. Um, that show with Charlize Theron. Uh, that movie where this about post post um, partum depression after birth. Oh, I, I can't know, I give it. Mm. Yeah, I can't give the details away because otherwise you'll you'll figure out the plot. <laughs> Um, but anyway, she, you know, that was good work from her. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting career from McKenzie. And what we find out is she is in, and this is serious, everybody. Tully. That's the name of the show. Oh, Tully. Movie. Yes, 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 yes. Right, 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 right. I need to watch Tully. You know, this one, I still haven't seen what? it What? You haven't watched that? I know. I know. It's on my list. Okay. Oh, right. no. You need to go on and do that over the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. So Kirsten is now in a traveling troupe of Shakespeare actors. They're called the Traveling Symphony. Yes, th- this is literal. So imagine you shuttle back to like the 18th century or 17th century. And, you know, there's an acting troupe traveling around performing for people. OK. Now, the conductor is a part of this played by Laurie Petty. So Kirsten meets her when she's young and they come up with this troupe. And people want to join this troupe of actors. How? How can you join them? Also, there are some additions to the troupe and some losses. And when it comes to this, it seems like you're watching it at first when you see them and go, okay, like episode two, you start getting into them. You're like, all right. But there's danger lurking because some people want to join and won't take no for an answer. Oh, my. How can Kirsten protect herself and the troop? How will these marauding influences, here they come again, affect them? That's the question. 
Now, some other questions that are provided by the show that I was just thinking about. Of course, we talked about how things change over the decades here. What's that like? What does survival look like? And then you start thinking, well, how does the past inform the future? What's the link here when you're watching this? How do you build the future you want? And whom can you trust? So you talked about Patrick Somerville. A show I kept coming back to that he worked on was The Leftovers. So this is like a slightly more gentle response to that show. The Leftovers is powerful. I mean, that's a trip. Now, what I would say is this show's smoothness will, it'll probably make this a bit less impactful than The Leftovers, but probably more tolerable right now. So that's the balance that I think was smart. Like The Leftovers, the cast here is interesting and well-chosen. Um, but what I would say is if I'm comparing, I felt compelled to watch The Leftovers. Here, I'm just kind of interested in Station Eleven. So speaking of the title, what does that even mean? This is connected to Gael's character and someone you meet really uh, more specifically in episode three. You'll see who that is. I won't give it away. You At first, you might think, okay, who is this? You'll find out. You'll see what that Station Eleven means as well. So sometimes the pulse stops in the show to me, depending on where they are, uh, but it still has a bite when needed. You also have to consider why the story after the pandemic focuses on the acting troupe. So what does that have to do with the future world? Why is the troupe important? How is it an extension of everything else in the show? What is the role of art in building society and future and things like that? So if you're intrigued, I would say give it a couple of episodes to see how you feel. You'll probably have a good idea in episode two of whether you want to keep watching or not. Well, as we said, this is on HBO Max, so you can go ahead and take a look and watch all of those uh, three episodes or, you know, all three episodes right now as of taping. So let's move on to um, something else on Paramount Plus, which is Star Trek Discovery. At this point, we are four seasons in, which it's hard to believe. Really, (laughs) Star Trek Discovery really was the first. There was like a couple shows of of. Viacom CBS's um, uh, streaming. And back then, remember, it was called CBS All Access. Oh, I remember. But after, after the merger, and, and that was really the one of the first shows. It really, uh, along the with merger. the merger. The merger. <laughs> along with the uh, good fight and, and some other uh, evil and some other specific shows that were pretty early on setting the ground stage. Now that it's Paramount Plus, you know, I don't know how many seasons this thing will go, but we do have some news for you as far as our coverage of it. Um, this is someone saying something special to the show. Yes. How do I? Well, I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> Be kind. <laughs> I will. You know, the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery, I really enjoyed. And season three start going, mm. and season four, my brother and I looked at each other and went, okay, we've got to say goodbye. And why is the question? The thing about Star Trek is the villain is always 
not some sort of mysterious entity. It is an actual, physical, humanoid-like being. Or even if you go from the Borg, the Klingons, I don't care who it is, Romulans, or even if there's some sort of interloper like Michelle Yeoh's Giorgio. They've lost that. And this season, it's this thing out there that's like swallowing planets. Okay. And that's it. And and then for that, when you're watching it, is that even that important? Sometimes it is. Sometimes they drop it. So the problem is they're doing too much character development stuff. And so what? Now, that has always been a part of Star Trek. We know that. We want that. But you have to have a threat, like an actual group of people or someone or something that they're going after that is threatening them, that is in the way. And I think them getting rid of Michelle Yeoh, whatever the reason, that did not help. And they didn't bring anything else in to replace that once they lost it. So, so far, I made it into uh, episode four of season four, and I just have to say goodbye to them. There's got to be some spice. Also, it just seems, watching it, I'm like, "Mm, it doesn't look as good. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I know that they have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with showrunner changes and everything else throughout the seasons. But, you know, again, I I like the first two uh, seasons a lot. I don't think it's a bad show. It's just, it's it's lost its essence. And I, I'm watching these actors going, they're treading water. <laughs> they're, they're trying to hold up, you know, hold the fort here. So, hey, if you haven't started Star Trek Discovery and you like this kind of thing, I definitely highly recommend seasons one and two. If you find that, ooh, it's starting to drop off for me, you don't have to keep watching, but I wouldn't discourage you from starting it if you haven't already done so. Well, there you have it. It is definitely not for everybody. Not a, not everybody likes sci-fi, but if you're a mm-hmm. Star Trek fan, you know, I have a feeling it doesn't matter. You're going to keep on getting that storyline. Um, but for us, we're going to take a pause on that. Who knows? Critic may change his mind. He, mm. He's known to do that. And he, <laughs> he's a kind, he, he'll, he'll give you a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. But let's <laughs> move on from TV to movies. Oh, why watch that sneak peek? Now, these are movies that are definitely, they want you to get and sit in your seat in the theater. Um, But some of them are like, no, don't go to the theater. Come (laughs) sit home, watch it that way. But let's start first with a very, probably one of the most famous plays ever. Mm. Ever of all time, yes. I'd say outside of 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 Romeo and Juliet, of all the Ooh. plays. I mean, of all plays. Oh, Mac- Macbeth or the tragedy of Macbeth, and I said it. You did. Oh my goodness, how brave! I don't. I don't uh, adhere to that the Scottish, Scottish play, play. We say in theater circles. I am in theater, <laughs> and I don't say it. I'll say Macbeth, and so does Denzel Washington. By the way, so we'll, Denzel we'll don't see care about that. I was going to say, it it, it may have worked or not worked in his favor in this case, but Macbeth, the tragedy of Macbeth, has 
made it to the big and small screen, or will make it to the small screen, we'll say, mm-hmm. as taping. This 25th, Christmas Day, do you really want to see me oh by the Cohen brother? brother? <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly what you want to see on Christmas, but some people, you know, do. It is if coming you want to a dark theaters. Christmas, then you can't do any better than this. <laughs> you can't. Um, and uh, it'll hit Apple TV Plus on January 14th. Now, this is obviously they have to release in the theaters because, you know, yeah. we've got to talk about who, you know. you got to get some awards. I mean, hello. Yes. I mean, this <laughs> cast, you better. First of all, it is directed, and I said brother, yeah. it is directed by Joel Cohen. So we know the Cohen brothers. And, yeah. You know, Ethan is not here. You know, where brother, where else? I mean, the Cohen brothers have a very distinct sensibility and artistic yeah. expression. And we love if them. you, we do, if you are an actor or a, you know, person who sweeps the stage, you know, after a, after something, you want to work with the Coen brothers. They're absolutely amazing. Well, this is Joel. And he not only directed this, but he wrote it. And in fact, um, there was a lovely talk that he had during the New York Film Festival, which I believe this premiered at, if I'm not mistaken. It, mm-hmm. it was, I think, the U.S. It may have been in Cannes, but definitely in the U.S. Um, yep. That was the first that an audience had seen it from my knowledge and you know they had everybody on stage and he talked about you know someone said hey you should do Macbeth and he was like uh no I shouldn't and so he decided to um because you know we've seen Macbeth over the years I mean who who has played Macbeth we've got you know Mel Gibson we've got you know just list it out you know you you even have Benedict Cumberbatch geez everybody plays Macbeth it is coveted and he decided to, to take a different viewpoint. And again, the critic will affirm whether or not it was successful in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't want to look at Macbeth as a stage play. I want to look at Macbeth as an experience. Mm. I want it to be a photographed experience. Mm-hmm. And it's and I thought to myself, that is a Cohen brother. Yes. <laughs> well, he decided to also adapt it. Now we know this is William Shakespeare, but um, we also know Joel Cohen is not English, so he d- he will definitely have his own sensibility onto it. But the cast that he gathered, mm. who other than for Joel Cohen to play Lady Macbeth? Than yeah. Francis McDormand, and as mm-hmm. you know, they have. I mean, how many movies? You know, how many? How many? Yeah, and they're married. So, well, yes, but you don't have to hire your wife um, if she's Francis McDormand. You better. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You're right. You're right. You're right. Who you other than Francis McDormand to play Lady Macbeth? And you know what she said? She said, "Who other than Denzel Washington to oh. play the titular character?" Mm. She was like, we're going to do this. And, you know, you because many people would think, oh, you know, where is Viola Davis? Wouldn't you, wouldn't that be a logical mm-hmm. choice? But remember who's directing and who wrote it. And it's not because they're husband and wife. I don't, I think had he not married her, he still would have. It's Francis she's, McDormand. She's just brilliant. 
Um, but they didn't stick with just Americans. So we can all relax. I know some people are like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> just mm-hmm. how dare they? Well, you got Brandon Gleason playing Duncan. And if you know anything about that character, mm. wouldn't Brandon be just the perfect, right? And Brandon yeah. in his own right could play Macbeth and probably has. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he came through theater. So there's that. Corey Hawkins playing Macduff. These are characters are just epic. Alex Hassel playing Ross. Lady Macduff playing by Moses Ingram. We love Moses because of um, the Queen's Gambit. You know, yes. we, I, that's where I discovered her. I don't know about you. Um, yes. And then on and on, all of these, you know, Stephen Root's coming in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Sean, uh, Sean Patrick Thomas is coming in. Just lovely, wonderful actors that we know and love and, and you know we've got Olivia Washington <clears throat> coming in as well so wonderful actors and actresses that we love but the question is we all know the critics going to be hard on this he has studied this play I don't have you ever been in it I played no I have not um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. I, I at a at the um the you know college level uh in a class you know you have to do scenes and stuff yes i did i did play lady macbeth unsex me yeah oh (laughs) but um other than that i've never you know never would imagine but you know the play well so do i is this adaptation something that will bring us to the theater because remember, it's in black and white. It's a photograph. It's an essence. It's an ex- mm. visual experience. Oh. Or is it something we we watch from the convenience of our own home? Or do we just go, I can't do it. I have to have the classic version right. of yeah. Macbeth. Right. Well, you know, my blanket recommendation is watch everything from the comfort of your home. Now, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Hollywood. Now, uh, I have studied this play uh i and i took a shakespeare class in college and we had to read it that was like my i don't know which time i read it i was like okay you know so i've done you know macbeth i'll say it and uh other shakespeare plays and looking at this here's how it works my friends it's after a victory on the battlefield a witch's prophecy is received by macbeth played by denzel and he's already the thane of Glamis. But he will become the thane of Cawdor. He's like, thane of Cawdor? We already got one. And eventually, he will become king. <laughs> <laughs> but the prophecy also falls on his friend Banquo. Okay. Now, you see, Macbeth, he ain't got no kids. He has no issue, as they call it. But Banquo does. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And then one of these prophecies, one part comes true immediately. And Macbeth is like, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to be king. Banquo's like, uh. <laughs> Back that up. <laughs> now, when it comes to this other part of the prophecy, the big part, enter Lady Macbeth, again played by Francis. Now, between her and the witches, Macbeth is seduced into madness. So is anybody safe? Is the question in the end. Including the perpetrators themselves, Macbeth and his lady. 
that's really it. I'm not going to go further. Ugh, it, that sounds like every Shakespeare play except for <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> so here's what I'd like to start my review. A general note on Shakespeare acting. Okay. You might be speaking English, but we don't understand it. Like, I, look, we don't speak this English anymore. So if you're an actor... You got to ask yourself, how are you going to say these lines? It's like you're speaking an echo of a language we all speak. How would you say them? Is this film? It is. But you still have to be on voice, on voice, like I am now. And you can't just speak through what you're saying. We got to catch all the dialogue to process Shakespeare's imagery. It's a lot to process. And I'm sorry, this is not the opera. I'm not reading it before and understanding so I can follow through. No, that is your job. Now, do they do that? Let's get into this review. Denzel, starting right there. Who's no stranger to Shakespeare? Let's just, because some people don't know that. They don't know that he is a theater. He's trained in theater first. Yes, and he's done it on Broadway. I saw it. And I have to admit, when I saw him on Broadway in Shakespeare, that my heart stopped. Not in a good way. Okay. Up until then, Denzel was my favorite actor. And in that Broadway house, my opinion changed. All right. Well, we've had that. We've heard that. Yes. Well, we're going to hear it again. (laughs) I always tell the truth. And I still love Denzel. I do. But Shakespeare again, here we go. Now, look, he has a clear agenda as an actor. It's Denzel. But the vocal support. He needs more active breathing. And he needs stronger choices here. Note the difference when you watch this, when he uses his full voice. It's not a volume thing. That's not what on voice is. It's about allowing the full range of your voice to work for you at any volume other than a purposeful whisper. So unless you're whispering, you got to let the full voice come out. If you don't, it gets in the way of your objective. This is just basic acting. It's acting 101. I'm tired of saying it now. Okay. He also neglects to pause to receive every new thought. He runs through too many of them too often. Now, the result is, at times, it's hard to follow. Not only the language, but more importantly, the motivation of his actions. And that lessens the impact of the overall tragedy. That's what this is. They put it in the title, even. Now, on the other hand, Frances McDormand. She has some nice moments, and she uses her breath. Look at her breathing. You can see it. And compare. Now... When it comes to Bertie Carvel as Banquo, he toes the line between Shakespeare and film the best, in my opinion, in this movie. His short soliloquy toward the end rings clear and true. That was masterful. We have as to also point we- out that Bertie, like some, some of this is in some people's DNA. Like they yes. heard it from a, like he's from London, he's from the UK. I mean, this is it. Shakespeare is birthday. Like we have to acknowledge not mm-hmm. saying Americans or any other nation can't do Shakespeare, but 
if it's a native you know native mm-hmm. rhythm and native language that you've heard since you know you were a kid yes there you go with that that's true Let, watch me do Shakespeare see what happens I don't care where you come from y'all better get it together if you're an actor you gotta know how to do Shakespeare okay and like you're saying yes Birdie wonderful stage actor is awarded and all of that other stuff and he shows it now, will I say that every single British actor in this no. film does well? No. No, you don't have no. to. But, you know, it's it's like uh, giving somebody, you know, gospel music. You know, some people <laughs> will shine more than others. Yes. Mm. Just it just that's just the way it is. Some people will shine more than yes. others. Now. Another stage vet, Catherine Hunter, as the witches, all of them. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you want, whether you understand her dialect or not. I'm going to tell you that. Wait till you see one of her reappearances almost halfway through the film. It's a triumph of the collaboration between an actor and everyone behind the camera, I got to say. And like her, Stephen Root, as the porter, has some fun doing crazy. Made it too. Now, with those spots of acting, let me go to Joel Cohen, writer-director. He has staged this film efficiently and effectively. So this is going to what you were talking about. He said what he wanted. You got birds and fabric, foreground and background, close-ups, walls and hallways, light, shadow, mist, sand, and liquid. I mean, this is beautifully boxed in on your screen and projected in starkly clear black and white. And it's edited with a purpose. This is technically brilliant. That's what I would say. It is Laurence Olivier meets A24. But my thing is, you know, you look at some of the critical responses and everything when it comes to Shakespeare. Sometimes I go, do you really like this or are you just pretending? Like, were you watching this going, oh, this was brilliant? Really? Did you really get all of this language? Were you really in this story? I don't know. I'm not buying it. Because if Shakespeare doesn't grab you by the throat or by the heart, my question is, what's the point? Why am I working so hard to follow it? And what it took me back to was really my favorite Shakespearean adaptation on film, which is uh, Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's a completely different aesthetic. Yes. Watch those actors and listen. The rhythm, the speed. I just started watching the first like 15 minutes ref. I didn't lose one thought, not one. And that's what I expect. And to end it, you know what I thought of? Because I love Denzel, I love Francis, but they're a bit old to play the McBeth Yes. Family. Traditionally, traditionally. But Lawrence Olivia, I mean, some other actors we've yes. excused as well. I excuse them. I, I'm not saying I had a problem with that. I get why. But I was thinking, if we are more age-appropriate, you know who I would be interested in seeing? Mahershala and Naomi Harris. Oh, that would be interesting. Now, remember in 2015, Michael Fassbender and uh, Marion Cotillard uh, Mm -hmm. also played Macbeth. So that age range makes um, sense with what you're saying. So here's the bottom line. You know, it's Shakespeare is tough. It's tough to perform. It's tough to watch. It's dense. 
Um, but at the end of the day, if you are a Shakespearean fan, if yeah. you love Shakespearean language and you are open, it sounds like, to a different way of watching Macbeth, then I think you have to, you, you must check this out. Um, whether or not, you know, you are more of a Olivier fan, Zeffernelli mm -hmm. fan, or if you're willing to dive into, you know, the world of, you know, of the Cohen. Uh, I think this is definitely something that you have to check out. Now, something we did check out earlier this year at Sundance, we have to talk about. We got a chance to see a sneak peek of the new movie, Jockey. Ooh. Oh, it was really dropped. Wait a minute. <laughs> I was doing my best yet. <laughs> I was doing my best um, voice drop from the, from the woman from Mass who's in... Uh, oh. Uh, who's in uh, <laughs> and Handmaid's down Tale. yes you gotta have that drop you gotta you gotta drop it like it's hot <laughs> well that's not what I mean listen don't drop when you're a jockey that's all I gotta say yeah um, with this movie we saw it at Sundance and but we meaning I saw like the first 20 minutes and mm. um, the critic was able to finish the entire film and this comes to us from director Clint Bentley. And he also wrote it. I don't know if you know that, but he did. And Greg Quitter uh, uh, also, or Quitter, Quetter? Quitter. Mm -hmm. um, Ooh, I like that better. Sure. Um, <laughs> he also wrote it with Clint. Uh, but it is a classic indie film because we have Clifton Collins Jr., as the lead man now normally we see him in more of a supporting role uh in the films and some tv shows that he's been in and it was kind of nice and refreshing to see him shoot his shot with this molly parker who is quickly becoming a favorite of mine um just oh. a really just she's just so reliable like yeah and that's that sounds like the death of an actor You're like oh that's the worst comment but no i mean it. it's not if you want your coins as they say on the streets well that is go. a great thing you're reliable they go hire you that's right uh uh Moise, it, now you you take these names better than i did mm -hmm. do but uh moises mm -hmm. yeah moises really mm -hmm. moises um Arius is also starring in this and, you know, on and on with some of these folks. The reason why you're not going to recognize a lot of these actors' names if we keep naming them because some of them aren't. Mm. And so you're going to explain what that means because it's very similar to another movie that we saw, not in content, but in the way... Um, these performances were crafted and who the performances came from um, to another movie, uh, Nomadland, that we saw. And you're going to explain why. But first, we do need this plot, though. Oh, well, the plot that there is. Actually, it is trickier than it seems oh. on the surface. There is a lot going on relationally. Now, we got Clifton playing Jackson Silva. He's a jockey, not in his prime. I would tell you that. Yeah. He used to be. And now the sunset is happening, but will he go quietly into that good night? 
Now we find out early on that his body is taking a beating so much so that he can't recover. Mm. Now, if you're a jockey, you got to sit in that saddle, right? You know, you, you got to withstand yeah. a lot. And these jockeys go through a lot. Now, what the ref was talking about is in the cast are real jockeys. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where they talk about their experiences and you know it's real. And that's where if you're thinking Nomadland, Chloe Zhao, her previous film before that, The Rider, where you pull yeah. in. Well, The Rider was all real people, no actors. But wow. here you pull in actors with people who are really of that milieu. Well, it was filmed on a ranch, on a real one. There you so, go. Kudos. And yeah, and the director, um, you know, his father, I believe, was a jockey. Yeah. So yep. he was saying, you know, he wanted to do a film that showed it how it was or how it mm-hmm. is. So anyway, so Jackson, you know, maybe he needs to retire, but does he want to? Now, what happens is he works with this uh, horse trainer played by Molly Parker, Ruth. And Ruth has found this new horse. And this is the one. Mm. This is the one to win it all. This was a horse that she saw. Nobody wanted this horse because the legs were too long and all this other stuff. But she just knew. And when Jackson sees the horse, he goes, no, that's the one. That's the one. They know it. Mm. They know it. Now, of course, uh, Ruth has an owner she works for. So the hierarchy is the owner tells her what to do. She tells Jackson what to do. Okay, now Jackson notices this new jockey who's like looking at him and popping up places for no reason. His name is Gabriel, played by Moises. One day he walks up to him and says, do I know you? I've seen you before. When did you start being a jockey? And he finds out that maybe Gabriel has been following him around Mm. from location to location. Why? Mm. So Gabriel tells him something that he can't quite believe. So much so that he's like, okay, I'm done with you. Did somebody put you up to this? Is this a joke? But what happens is over the course of the movie, they do develop a relationship. I won't tell you what kind, I won't tell you how, and I won't tell you why. Mm. But there is a relationship, but Gabriel is new. And Jackson is old. This is the end. So can he mentor? Does he want to mentor Gabriel? Is that what Gabriel wants? Can If he does this, is Gabriel trustworthy? Like Gabriel is bringing up stuff from his past. Does he want to contend with all of that? And the thing is also, if he helps Gabriel, will he also be able to help himself? Are both things possible? And in the end, what is the end for Jackson? We know that it has to end at some point, but will he be able to accept that? What will that end look like? Or will he push it too far? Mm. And what is that going to mean for not only Gabriel, but also Ruth? Does Ruth know anything about what's happening to Jackson? Mm. Mm. Has she earned his trust? Mm. And has he earned hers? Now, like we said, if you've seen Nomadland or The Writer, which you probably haven't, but maybe Nomadland from Chloe Zhao, even maybe Raph, the Mustang we talked about before. Yeah. yeah. We talked uh, Sling Blade and the, the Apostle. Not that it's <laughs> the Mustang, Sling Blade, or the Apostle. It's not that uh, dark. 
Okay, I was like, whoa. <laughs> but that feel of acting, you know, the, yeah. that that feel where you're like, are these actors? Like, what's going on? That's really where this lives. Um, what I found interesting was the whole dynamic of Jackson. Will he be able to end what is the end? And the whole thing about young and old and that dynamic and being having trust. Because the thing is, everybody, this is very simply presented. There's not a lot of bells and whistles on this movie. It is a classic indie in that sense. It really is character driven. And I think that Clifton and Molly, especially together, some of their scenes were just beautiful to watch. There's a scene when things come out between them, just well done, No, just no frills. You just buy them as these people. You, I never once questioned Molly as a trainer. I never once questioned that Clifton was actually a jockey once in his life. And now, you know, he's a little overweight. Like they make fun of him <laughs> and all of that. And he's like, I got to get my weight down. Like all of that, you see him training. You see all of it play out before you without a lot of stuff literally happening plot wise, but it's all again underneath the surface. So if this is your kind of thing, where you want to just sit with these people and see, okay, who is this? Where did you come from? Where are you going? Now I understand you psychologically. Then Jackie would be for you. It's good. That's what I would say. It's not earth shattering. It's not going to change anyone's life. But I think you will appreciate the work that went into it. Um, I did. And again, I would just say it's good. So note the movies I mentioned earlier. If any of those interested you, and again, we're not getting too crazy in the plot here. If you just want to watch that simple story being told that feels yeah. authentic, then hey, why not check out Jockey? Another movie the critic has watched is mm. Munich, The Edge of War. Ooh. Ooh. That just sounds interesting. Now, how many movies have we seen about Munich or Munich? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Named yeah, is, Munich. Is that Spielberg's but it's, Munich? Yeah. This is not Spielberg's Munich, but this will instead be um, available on Netflix on January 21st. But you can, you know, figure out where it, you can watch it in a theater near you. Um, you know, for some people, good luck with that. So, yeah. Yeah. This, December 31st in theaters, but, you know, select. And we know what that means. We sure do. It means we are trying to scrape up some rewards. And why not? Um, this comes to us by Christian um, Schwokow. I'm sure that that was not correct, but it's based on Robert Harris's novel, and it was adapted by Ben Power. Now, this cast is a cast of across the pond or across wherever across the way actors that we've known and love and have seen through the years. Um, of course, we love Jeremy Irons. I mean, how can you not? And in fact, the last thing I saw Jeremy Irons in, which was The Watchmen, was very disturbing. <laughs> His performance was just one of the most bizarre performances that I had seen that year. So, okay. There's George McKay, who for me has been, I mean, we've seen George over the years, but he's been popping up a lot lately all over the yeah. place. If you remember 2017, um, he was really the movie. I mean, or not yeah. 2017. What am I saying? 1917. I don't even know what I was saying. But 1917, <laughs> he was really, you know, the movie. Yeah. So um, he's been with us for quite some time and, and you can kind of dip through his 
his uh, his Captain world. Fantastic. He was yes, he was the son, the very agitated son, <laughs> Captain <laughs> Fantastic. Jessica Brown um, Finley is also in this, along with many other people that you will recognize, especially from. Um, stuff you've watched uh, yeah. from people, and some people may not recognize these people at all, but Jeremy Irons for sure and Mr. Um, McKay. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the same question we've been asking since Joan. Is this something we really dig deep and try to find the nearest theater that has this? Do we mm-hmm. enjoy it on Netflix? It's around at the same time as far mm-hmm. as like the holidays, so there's a lot... There's so much into going to the theater during this pandemic, during the holidays. You know, what what, what are we going to do here? Yeah. And, you know, the holiday season going into January, if you're around family and friends a lot, why not get some streaming services you don't normally have? Just get it for a month and just have a good time. That's what I would strongly suggest. Again, do I recommend going to the theater to watch any of this? No, I'm not going, so I'm not going to tell you to go. You know, I'm a streaming. So that's where I am. Now, if you want to see Spider-Man No Way Home in the theater, go ahead, like the rest of the world. I'll wait for that, too, or not watch it at all. So that's just my perspective. Um, Now, when it comes to Munich, the edge of war, this is not even the same time as Munich from Spielberg. Okay, so completely different. Same place, but different story completely. So it's 1932, and we meet Oxford friends, Hugh Leggett, played by George, Paul von Hartmann, uh-oh, played by Janis Nivhoner, and Paul's girlfriend, who also is a friend of Hugh's, is three a crowd and the girlfriend's played by Liv Lisa Fries. now they're very close but that's jeopardized by disagreement they have during Hugh's visit to Munich they argue about what the election of Hitler would mean for Germany and it's intense and then six years later Hugh who's now married with a young son He's married to Jessica Brown Finley's character, Pamela. How's all of that going? Well, he works as one of Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain's secretaries. And Neville is played, of course, by Jeremy Irons. And Paul works as an interpreter for the German government. But where's the girlfriend? And at this time, the pertinent question for the world is, will Hitler choose to invade Czechoslovakia at the beginning of an effort to reclaim the former territories of Germany. Will Hitler choose mobilization? Now it's a double-edged sword for his opponents depending on where they are. Also, what's Hitler really up to at this time? Can his stated intentions be trusted? Well, unfortunately we know where this ends, but for Hugh and Paul, the question is, where do they stand now on the question of Hitler and what role can they play in thwarting him? Because there's a document that contains Hitler's true intentions for mobilization, which presumably would be a bombshell if it found its way into the right hands. But will it? Can it? And if it does, will it really make a difference 
or will it be too late? Also, how are Hugh and Paul linked by those priceless pieces of paper? Well, when Chamberlain makes a trip to Munich to ensure that another world war does not happen, remember World War I, not too long ago here, Hugh and Paul find themselves in the thick of averting an impending global catastrophe. Now, as I said, look, you know what happens historically, but do you know what happens to the lesser known main characters? Do you know what Hmm. happens to Hugh and Paul who are fictional yet based on real people? Since that's what's unknown about this story, the challenge for this film is to get you to care about them. Does it succeed? I'll say it this way. It's all very fine, again, for a watch on Netflix. That's how I think of it. Also, they attempt to delve into the psyche of Neville Chamberlain a bit more than in something like Darkest Hour, which is also on Netflix right now. And one of its main questions is, what were his true motives with the specter of the First World War looming large in his mind? And how did his actions affect the eventual outcome of the Second World War? Now, I can't say I cared that much about Neville, but I didn't mind watching Jeremy. I'll tell you that. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah. Now, look, if you're thinking of Darkest Hour, there's nothing like the towering performance of Gary Oldman here. You really can't. Yeah, that's not try. Yeah, but the performances are good, and this movie has solid moments of tension. So if you like straightforward historical accounts with a British sensibility, this may be your cup of tea. Just know... We always have to caution. The characters speak in English and in German when appropriate. All right, let's move on to a hero that is, not a hero, but the film, a hero. That is um, on Prime. And that starts on the 21st as well. But until then, you can try to find it in theater starting the 7th of January. So again, you're going to have to really dig around unfortunately let's just have a precursor here a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily in new york area and in the los angeles area in fact critic you're not even in the new york area any longer so it is much harder to find award specific and i'm saying it that way releases outside of those markets um just due to rules So um, just keep in mind with that as you're searching, um, trying to find some of these movies. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, Many of us, many of us have to wait until the 21st um, Mm -hmm. to in order to catch some of this. But this is a hero. And this was a Grand Prix winner um, at this year's Cannes Festival. And this comes to us from um, Asghar Fahadi. Uh, He is no stranger at all to filmmaking. Um, It stars Amir Jadidi. And again, please, I apologize. Um, uh, uh, Moisin Tanabanda and many other well-known, well-respected actors and actresses. Now, I said that Fahadi is not a stranger to filmmaking and, you know, quite frankly, making a splash in award collecting, if you will. A hero 
is not a surprise as far as winning at that festival. They respect his work and he is well respected, but he always has something specific to say. Yeah. And he humanizes a lot of things that are mystery to those of us who aren't a part of the culture. He does a great job of translating something so specific into something that everybody can understand, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you're from, no matter if you you are enemies of, you know, whatever, <laughs> no matter what your countries are doing. He has a way of humanizing very specific um, experiences. Now, this is called a hero. Mm. Please tell us what's going on here, especially for those of us who, number one, subtitles turn us off. And for those of us who, you know, maybe don't know much about his work, um, how is it that we, you can help us take a chance on the, you know, and watch it on Prime? Yeah. Um, I think you did a, a beautiful job of explaining Esgare's work. Um, so just keep in mind what the ref said, everybody. If you haven't seen A Separation, which won the Oscar, you gotta see that from him. Now, a hero. A hero? Should there be a question mark on this title? Hmm. Oh, okay. So, you, he always gives us uh, the perspective from Iran. That's where we are. Right. And always. Always. And Rahim has been in prison for three years because of a debt he cannot pay. You know, debtor's prison like Little Dorrit. But he finally <laughs> might have a way out. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. But it ain't comical like Little Dart. I'm no, it is not. No. And that's, by the way, early Claire Foy. Early, early. Claire Foy. Yes. Foy. Mm-hmm. And watch her and that father. I mean, it is <laughs> that father that that is prison. People, he acted like he ain't, you owe money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I love that miniseries. Y'all, if you uh, haven't seen Dart, the middle miniseries with Claire, watch that. You know what? Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) So back to Raheem. So Raheem finally might have a way out. So when he's given two days leave from prison, he tries to work on a plan to repay his debt and stay out of prison for good. And this plan revolves around a new woman in his life. How did he meet her exactly? And several gold coins of dubious origin. But will Raheem's creditor be accommodating? Will he allow Raheem to pay him back in installments? Also, who is this creditor? Exactly. I'm telling you this. He's somebody who has or had a close connection to Raheem and has made a lot of sacrifices on Raheem's behalf. Plus, you got to ask, how did Raheem come to be in debt? Now, when you when you watch him, you're like, okay, he's amiable. He seems to be honest. Plus, his sister, her husband, their children, and Raheem's son, who has his own challenges, all love and support him. In fact, his brother-in-law desperately tries to work out a deal between Raheem and this creditor. However, those efforts seem to be in vain until Raheem makes a decision about the gold coins. That would be considered quite uncommon for someone in his predicament. 
And this decision is discovered by the prison's administrators, who then orchestrate a way to thrust Raheem into the spotlight as this hero. But what kind of hero? And why are these administrators so invested? Who else becomes entangled in this? And where does all of this lead? Does everyone have good intentions? And are good intentions enough to warrant cutting a few corners to ensure that everything goes off without a hitch? Is everyone rooting for Raheem? Well, just keep this in mind. As Shakespeare wrote, neither a borrower nor a lender be. And now for the review. Look at you, Shakespearean. Okay. <laughs> this came from the tragedy of Macbeth. Why not? We did. We did. Now, if we think about Mr. Farhadi, again, the separation, won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film in 2012. He's a master of layering entanglement on top of entanglement on top of entanglement until they cannot be disentangled. When we're not talking about... Oh, goodness. The other kind of entanglement. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you're in the zeitgeist. You got to make sure you're clear. <laughs> All right, sorry. That was sorry. Go ahead. Okay. You know, you really want to throw me off today. And- <laughs> I do. I'm just messing with you. So, throughout Ask Alfred Hardy's work, one of the major themes is that good intentions can have awful and unexpected consequences. So, as you watch this tragedy unfold, that's what it is. And it does so ever so gently. He makes sure that you understand all sides. You understand everyone's hopes and fears and grievances and mistakes, regardless of which side they're on. Plus, on top of that, the real key to Ferhadi's success is that he always manages, and this is what you were talking about, Raf, to make the specific universal. He makes you care about his characters and ache for them like they're real people. So the resulting heartbreak you feel for them while unsettling is certainly worth it. So, hey, when this is on Prime, what was it, January 21st? I would say definitely check it out. It's a quiet film. It's small. But when it snowballs, you will be involved. And entangled. All right. Let's move on to um, (laughs) The Duke, which is coming. We don't know the exact date, but they're projecting somewhere around March 25th. But, you know, I have a feeling, don't they want to get it out a little bit before so they can squeeze in some awards possibly? I don't know. So we don't know exactly when it's being released. Just hearsay. This comes to us from Roger Mitchell. It's written by Richard Bean, along with Clive Coleman. And it stars our friend Jim Broadbent. We we interviewed him. Like, that was like one of our first interviews ever um, for Why Watch That, which was super cool it was among the first but he ain't the only one in this um because you're seeing helen mirren shows up at some point you know you got all kinds of other people across the pond matthew good is coming through heather craney um stephen roshbrook james Wilby. i mean on and on you know, uh, charlie richmond uh who He'll, he'll peek in through um, some of the other British shows that you've probably watched in the past and on and on and on until Charles Charles Edwards. We love Charles Edwards. Charles Edwards was in The Crown. Um, <laughs> and love his work in The Crown. Just 
Anybody who's been in The Crown is probably in this movie. So there you go with that. <laughs> or anyone who's played the queen is probably, you know, just oh. the full circle there um, in this. Now, again, we don't know how this is coming to us. We know that normally Sony Pictures, they try to do some theatrical release. Um, That's their normal pattern. But we want to talk about it anyway. Because it's a peculiar story. You think, oh, the Duke. This is going to be about, this is a period piece, you know, mm-hmm. with dresses and, you know, buggies and things like that. No, it's somebody who did something and needs something in return. Ooh. Yeah. And it is set in the past, but not that no. kind of past. We're not, we're not taking horses places. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not. And this is, um, unfortunately, Roger Michelle, um, has passed uh so this is one of his final films uh now if you're going wait a minute how how would i know him as a director uh notting hill yeah okay she may be the reason that that thing i hate that song anyway so (laughs) this is based on a true story it's 1961 and could it be true that an old codger named Kimpton Button, I love his name, Kimpton <laughs> Button, did he really steal Goya's painting called Portrait of the Duke of Wellington? <laughs> Don't you love the English? Like, we're, our, some of our stories are like, you know, woman's child is ripped from her arms and she has to fight that, you know, and then they're like, you know, a baker or whoever just takes a portrait. Like, I just love it. I love it. It's so stressless. <laughs> yes. So when you think of that title, it's about the painting. It's not like a real dupe that they're talking about anyway. So that's the question. Did he really do this? Well, he's on trial for doing so. But they must have made a mistake. I mean, come on. Look, just look at him and listen to him speak. He's more <laughs> of an entertainer than a thief. Is then he? we shuttle back six months in time, okay? And we meet Kempton's wife, Dorothy, and his younger son, Jackie. Now, of course, Kempton is played by Jim Broadbent. Dorothy is played by Helen Mirren. Jackie is played by Finn Whitehead. Now, Kempton and Dorothy quibble harmlessly, while Kempton and Jackie are more conspiratorial. But when it comes to his older son, well, he's not really welcome in the house, but on whose authority? Regardless, they seem like a normal family, but they've gone through a tragedy. Keep that in mind. Kempton and Dorothy also had a daughter who died at the age of 18. Yeah. So how do Dorothy and Jackie deal with that death? And how does Kempton? After all, he's never afraid to speak his mind and stand up for what he believes in. For example, when it comes to the TV tax that Brits have to pay to, license, to have a license to watch the telly. I didn't even know this. I'm like, you got to pay it. Well, yeah, the um, Italians too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Well, Kempton goes, nay, I don't think so. And he says it to anybody who can hear him, including the coppers. Now, he says nay to a lot of silly things that are foisted on the proletariat, even as an employee, a new one, at the tender age of around 60 okay. at the local bread factory. So he's definitely not shy and he's not afraid of activism. He will fight back and make a statement. Plus, he's a self-taught expert on many things. One character calls him an autodidactic. Okay. 
But to steal such a famous and well-protected painting? No, somebody like him wouldn't be capable. It would have to be some sort of well-organized syndicate of Italian origin, perhaps, some people say. Plus, why would he, of all people, do such a thing? Well, just imagine what ensues from there and what will happen to Kempton and his family as a result. There are consequences for all of his actions that just might come from unexpected places. But really, the question is, who could be trusted to tell the truth? Now, Roger Michel's film here, it has what I would call an inviting working class spirit that's common to many British films from like 2014's Pride to 2013's Philomena. Now, it's not as good as Philomena, keep that in mind, but much of this just sweeps along and is entertaining and humorous enough. But of course, it also takes a breath in the portions that depict this family's grief. Plus, look, again, we got Broadbent and Mirren. You can't go wrong there. And things may not be exactly as they seem, which adds a bit of fun. Now, it's not that they're the same, but I kept thinking about Belfast as I watched this. And I liked Belfast a little more. But even still, the Duke is not without its charms. And in the end, you might have a little smile on your face and feel a, a bit warm on the inside. So if you want this kind of quirky story that's based on what actually happened, have a bit of fun with these people. Why not? When it comes near you, check it out. Well, there you have it. Let's end this with a, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this because (laughs) no, seriously, I don't. Um, This franchise has literally, it shaped, you know, the first two films for me shaped what movie making, I mean, for Hollywood, not just for me, everybody, you know, um, it complete. And I said the first two films, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> reshape how to make compelling sci-fi, you know, or superhero movies. Now, some people argue it's not a superhero. He literally flies at the end of the first one, flies and saves the world. It is a superhero movie. We're talking about The Matrix. Oh, I watched that first look. Saves what world? Well, you know, (laughs) at some point, you don't know because we keep, this is called The Matrix Resurrections because Mm. uh, the the, uh, Matrix Revolutions had a definite ending to some characters. Mm. Many characters. I mean, mm. conclusive. However, it's called Resurrections. And it's been quite a lot of time. Now, remember, the third movie did not get as much praise as the first two movies. Right. Um, and you, we kind of cite the first Matrix as the first time I think you specifically had a thorough disagreement with the critics. Mm. Um, I remember you talking about that a lot, how yeah. the critics were not kind to the first Matrix and you went and saw it and you were like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> what Everybody in the world knew those critics were wrong from the commercial. <laughs> okay, I remember the commercial. Everybody yeah. was like, we're going to see this. The yes. critics shouldn't even have reviewed it. They should have just taken the day off. <laughs> well, you know, and the thing about it is, were they wrong with the, the third movie? I don't know. Are they right with this one. 
This comes to us by Lana Wachowski. And remember, it's only one of the siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, The first time it was both siblings. And now it's just Lana. And uh, Lana also wrote it along with David Mitchell and Alexander Himmon. Um, However, uh, you know, Lily is, from my understanding, not a part of the the writing of this or the direction. Mm-hmm. And normally the siblings, they work together normally. Right. Well, does that make a difference? I like to point that out because, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you have one sibling, like the Coen brothers, we just reviewed Macbeth. Um, right. Now it's just Joel. And we get to see that sibling's interpretation. Um, so who's, I mean, can you do the Matrix without Keanu? It would be just, I don't think, I think people would have taken it to the streets. Um, So Keanu is back as Mr. Anderson or Neo. And remember, I'm not going to ruin this. I don't feel like I am ruining this. If you might want to just not listen to the rest of this. He dies in the last iteration of this previous to this one. What does it mean to die? What does it mean to die in the Matrix and in the world of the mm-hmm. Matrix? Right. And guess who else is back who definitely died? Carrie Ann Moss back as Trinity, but now they have her as Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Tiff. And I thought that was interesting because throughout the franchise earlier than that, did we really know her as Tiffany? And if it was, it was mentioned in passing. What does that mean for, for her to be Tiffany? It, what does it mean for her to be Tiffany? I remember, I think I think the one thing to remember in the Matrix that explained everything was the second Matrix, the architect's speech. Mm. And when he tells Neo what the Matrix is and how many times it's been. Yes. That is a clue to probably what we're going into here to see... Mm-hmm. What are we actually dealing with? What is reality and which reality are we in? So you think that um, Morpheus played by a previous actor is coming back, but he is not. Morpheus is back or Agent Smith. Did I just give something away? What the heck? That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Yaha um, Abdul Mateen, who is ha- the second, is having a phenomenal year, or two years, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, he just blew up awards and roles. Mm-hmm. Is coming back, but then Jonathan Grum. <laughs> yes. But when I saw that, I'm not laughing at Jonathan Grum. He's a fine actor, but Jonathan Gruff. And if you're like, who is Jonathan Gruff? If you if you're a Broadway theater person, you know exactly who it is. But if you're not, then you can definitely you saw him if you're a Hamilton fan. Yeah. So he's the king in Hamilton. And one of the voices in Frozen, and you know. I mean, come on, Jonathan. Looking Ruff. on HBO. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Jessica Henwick, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who dips in both worlds. Yeah. Interesting, Neil here. Well, you know, the thing is, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to lie to you. Neil, for me, is a comedy-based actor, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's been doing some interesting work as of late. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, but guess who else is coming, mm-hmm. coming back as Naomi? Jada Pinkett Smith is back. Mm. Hmm. Now, remember, her and Morpheus had a thing. 
but in this iteration, what's going on here? Hmm. And Priyanka Chopra, now she's Jonas. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's um, coming in. And really, Christina Ricci is coming in. Really, there's not a lot of people who are returning. I would have to continue to dig, dig, dig to see who actually is returning. But at this point, these are newcomers for most for the most part to the Matrix franchise. So here's here's what we're because this is the first look that's already out there. This is your take on it. You and I have both seen the three Matrix movies prior to this. Now, yeah. I went as far as I was such a Matrix head that I was the person who stood in line. I was the person who saw it at whatever clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was the person who bought uh, the Matrix animated series. I'm the person who watched all of the director's cuts. Yeah. All of it. Like, I am really went nuts. Now, I don't speak very much of revolutions, but I will acknowledge it in a way that... Yes, it completed the story. It completed this. Well, did it? Uh, um, that so story. He, he, that story. So here's the deal, and we need it. We need it straight. No chaser. Should we have left this alone? That's mm. the real question. Did yeah. we need this story? Is it just nostalgia? Because there's a line in there about nostalgia. Yeah. Is this just for nostalgia's sake? But for us real fans out here. Mm-hmm. Is this a needed addition, or should we have just ended it? It's going to depend on probably why you like the Matrix if you like it. Um, now, like you, I'm deep into the Matrix. I had the box set. I listened yes. and watched every single part of it. Animatrix. I don't care what it is. All commentaries, even the yep. one with the critics when they were talking about their criticism of it. So. The Matrix Resurrections. Now, the title is interesting. It's not Resurrection. Oh, okay. There you go. It's Resurrections. Okay, okay. So what we start, it's the same kind of beginning as The Matrix. We have the code. We have people talking off screen. What are they talking about? Well, they're talking about this modal. What's a modal? Well, a modal is essentially... Oh, wait, are you going to give us when this is or are you not going to give that away yet? I don't know. Okay. Now, see, I, okay. You know, I have to do my dance and I've got to figure out what I'm not going to say. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, where we are, but that's okay. We'll go with you then. Oh, where you are. I, I'm probably not going to tell you that. So, okay. Well, I, we'll see. Now, there's this modal. And a modal is essentially where you can evolve programming. So this is all computer programming, things like this. So inside of this modal, are we watching The Matrix again? It seems to be there's a Trinity type of person. We have the agents, the whole opening of The Matrix. And there are characters inside of this modal watching this going, wait a minute, is that Trinity? Agent Smith? What are they doing in here? What is happening? Now, we find out that there is Thomas Anderson. Mr. Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Still played by Keanu. And he is 
a famed creator of video games. And his most famous creation is a trilogy called The Matrix. Mm. So the whole Matrix, the three films, are really video games in the real world that he created. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Okay, so, it, and you're not going to tell us whether that's true or not. No. Okay. okay. What is truth? Back to Morpheus's, yes, point. So, okay, he's a video game designer, award-winning. Got it. And he created the Matrix. So, like, see, this, they are always playing around with reality. What our relationship is to, to reality in this whole, now, four movies. So, Jonathan Groff plays his boss at this video game company. Now, he's working on a new video game, but he has a problem with reality himself. Thomas, Tom. And he needs help dealing with what's real, what's not. Because with this video game, is it pulled from memory? Or is it something he just made up? He can't quite grasp it. And to help him, disentangle this is his analyst played by Neil Patrick Harris. Now he wears blue glasses. What does that mean? You know, blue when you see red. the color blue here, mm-hmm. it means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he helps him, the analyst, helps Tom come back to reality. Now, his reality is disturbed by characters from his video game. Well, the modal, I should say. One of the characters gets out. And this character gets out by, via the help of someone, a new character called Bugs. Okay. And that's Jessica Henwick's character. Now, Bugs was not in the modal. Not a character there, but made her way in and then got this character out, played by Yaya. Now, in the modal... Yaya is called Agent Smith. Right. But when he gets out of the modal, he's someone else. I won't tell you who. Well, it says it on the... Well, don't look at it. Well, it's it's actually literally in the trailer. (laughs) Don't look at the trailer. I'm telling y'all, don't look at trailers. Don't look at commercials. You know what he looks like. I mean, come on. I avoided it. But even if you know, do you know... Right. Because remember, he was called Agent Smith in the modal. Does that have anything to do any- with anything? He turns into someone else. He comes out in what form? And he goes to Tom and is like, Neo, what does Not that do? Thomas or Mr. No. Anderson. No. Now, Jonathan Groff's character, the boss, In one early scene, he's looking out of a window of a skyscraper and says a certain line. Mm -hmm. But I already said that Yaya was called Agent Smith in the modal. So what's going on here? So once again, Tom has got to make a decision. Red pill, blue pill. That's right. Which one you going to take? His reaction is very similar. No. (laughs) Like, (gasps) no. No. And what's the analyst got to say when it comes to this? The analyst is going, Tom, 
this is reality, don't go off. Because there's a reason why he's in, in analysis that I didn't give away. And this reason also is linked to Bugs. Bugs saw Tom Neo before, which led her to an epiphany. Now, you know at some point you're gonna take the red pill. Okay. The red pill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because okay. he, by the way, the pills he's taking now from his analyst are blue. Okay. So they're playing around with all of this. Gotta take the red pill. We gotta go down the rabbit hole. We have Alice in Wonderland. All of that stuff is bad. Where does this lead him? We know what happened in the original Matrix. We do? Do we? Mm. <laughs> and Zion, what happened? Right. Because you mentioned that Jada is back as Naomi. She is. When? And no other name. Yeah. In what capacity? How much time has passed since the third movie? We know I don't know, but us, you, it's been yeah. 22 years. It's been tw- years. Years since The Matrix came out. But it's been a lot longer for The Matrix Resurrections. So. As you're dancing around, you have not mentioned somebody. I have not. Now, what about if there's Neo, there's got to be Trinity. There has to be Trinity. Now, in Tom's reality that I mentioned where he's this, you know, uh, game designer and so on, who we know as Trinity is Tiffany. Mm. She has kids. She has a husband named Chad. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And she and Tom see each other. They both go to the same coffee shop. Okay. But they don't know each other. She knows his game. And she's like, you know, this Trinity character, I kind of relate to her. And I even kind of look like her. But that, yeah, my, that's, you know, she was like, I, I told my husband, we kind of laughed. Hmm. And she designs motorcycles. She puts them together. Mm. What? What does that mean? Now, when we go into the red pill and we get out, again, the question is, what do we see? Because it's resurrections. So you've got to think, what is the new Matrix? What is the new Zion? What is the new Morpheus? What is the new Agent Smith? What are even new characters on top of that? The Sentinels, are they new? What's the new struggle? I think I'm done. I, I can't say anything else. I'm, I'm sorry. You have confused us more than ever, Good. but it's on Excellent. purpose. I know it is. It is. Yes. Because there are new things going on and there are old characters who pop up. And in a lot of this movie, it's not only self-referential, but it references the culture and they do it in so many different ways that it's almost head spinning. It's entertaining, it's funny, but then you start thinking about it. Because if The Matrix is really a, a series of video games, what does that mean for us right now, our reality? Because if you really start going down what they're talking about, are, what are we in? And that's always been one of the most compelling questions from this series for me. It's not just, 
okay, what's going on in the matrix that I'm watching, but I'm watching the matrix. Who's watching me? Okay, that's maybe you need an analyst. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want this one? I'm getting to Neil Patrick Harris and why they casted him and how he comes in, okay? Because, again, I said, what is the matrix now in this movie? What does it represent? Because remember, the machines created the matrix to house human energy. They run off of it. So what is the point of Neo and Trinity? How are they linked to the Matrix now? Okay. It still comes back to that concept. And how do you imprison humans? Via their minds. If you get in our head, if you can keep us in our head, you can have us where you want us forever. The sheeple, one character says. So... Again, they are even referencing this being the fourth movie. They talk about, they talk about as a video game, they go, look, because they have to come up with a new one. And they go, you know, Warner Brothers uh-huh, says we got to do this. You know, so they, it's, it, they, they are very aware of who they are, where they are, and what they did to the culture. What does it mean to have red pill and blue pill? What does it mean now what we have in society? There's one of a fan favorite character who comes back in a completely different situation. He ain't happy about the situation he's in. And he spews a lot of this. He's like, look, we had art and conversation and now we have beep, boop, 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 boop. So I loved all of that stuff. And the danger is, is it too much? Is it going to make us not take it too seriously? But then if you keep watching, you start getting into the second half of the film and they start to deepen it and add to it even more. So what I'm saying here to you is this, everybody. If you like the ideas of the Matrix, the philosophy of the Matrix, the whole rabbit hole of the Matrix, you're going to come back and go, oh, I'm back into that headspace. If you like being in that headspace, if that's why you're a fan of this, then you're going to enjoy the Matrix Resurrections. Now, if you are someone who goes, eh, Really, I just want to see the butt kicking. I want to be shocked by the visual. You're not really going to get much new here visually. The colors are beautiful when we get into, like, you know, the fantasy stuff. And it's a cleaner presentation, of course. I mean, you know, we're decades later. But there isn't a moment like we had in several moments of the Matrix movies, especially the first two, where you go, whoa, yeah. whoa. Like, the only way they could do that, because I still remember seeing the Matrix in the theater. Yeah, me too. The only way they could do that, ref, is really to make this like a VR experience and make me be Neo. Like, this is the only way they could blow our mind the way they did in 1999. But when I'm watching, when I was watching this, and back, by the way, I saw this twice in one day. I watched it twice. When I was watching this, when it comes to the visuals, I went back and watched The Matrix again just to see it again, the opening with Trinity. You don't have even the sharpness of that. So here, I would say, if you are here to see something new action-wise, you're not gonna get it. Are the visuals good? Yeah. Do they serve what the purpose? Yes. But also when I'm watching Keanu and Carrie Ann, I'm like, ooh, they look older. Now they are older in this story. (laughs) Okay. I was like, "Mm -hmm." 
now they are yeah. but i mean action wise yeah they're not doing the same stuff no no it's much simpler and it kind of takes away and the new characters there's so much going on they didn't they don't give us as many of those moments where we pause and go oh breathe now yeah exactly now a lot of this is tracking the matrix the original one again they will pull back certain scenes from the matrix you'll see it again you will see Lawrence Fishburne from the matrix for instance Mm -hmm. So it, they are almost going through that storyline again, but reinterpreting it. So keep that in mind. You'll you'll have kind of deja vu, which is the name of the analyst cat. Deja right. Vu. Right. Why? So again, if you're expecting something new visually, it is not here. Now, overall, I watched this twice in a day. Okay over two hours long it is I enjoyed it uh the second time I watched it I watched it with my brother he like me we enjoyed the thought of it it gets you to thinking again to talking again to considering where we are now considering what reality is answering all of these questions and really thinking about okay where does this rabbit hole end it really doesn't And even now in today's world, this is certainly still relevant. So this has a lot to offer. It has a lot to offer to different people. Um, And as you know, everybody, it is available on HBO Max as long as you don't have commercials, no ads, for 31 days since its release in theaters. So will it work on HBO Max? That's how I watched it. Yes. Now, of course, you want a big TV screen. It's going to work there. If you want to go to a theater, I mean, it's the Matrix. That's going to be up to you. But to answer the question, is this a movie they should have made? I'm glad they did. For me, I did not like the third one as much, just like you were saying, Ref. But this took me back to what it felt like, and it helped me to relive it in that way, in a way that I found inviting. Well, you know, and also at the end of the day, you know, the other two questions that I, I'm going to say, I haven't even seen it yet and I will watch it mm-hmm. is, you know, do you need to have seen the first three movies? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Um, well, but some, you know, this is a Gen Z, this is a completely different generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and HBO absolutely. Max has the first three, just so everyone knows. So you can watch mm-hmm. that. Um, but also the alternative question, did it tee up? for another round of things. Oh, um, well. And of course, if I know anything about this franchise, <laughs> the uh, the answer is absolutely yes. And um, they, they it, also twist some of the Matrix. So who's being saved this time? Who, you know, you, there are some little switches there. You'll see by the yeah. end. I do have a comment and we'll end this whole thing is that sometimes, you know, you talked about it's more heady than it is action. And obviously we have age, you know, we've got a 22 year older Keanu and a 22 year older Carrie Ann Moss, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's only so much that you can do. And, you know, we do know that the the siblings had strengths, you know, a sibling, one sibling lent more to the, the writing and the other sibling had a more visual uh, perspective. So if it is teed up, 
you know, the question is, will we see the siblings get back together um, to to take us further into this world of the Matrix? Now, that's a lot. This was a long, long, long episode. But we did it on purpose because some of you needed to just go into your closet because there's a lot of family around and Uh, just kind of take your mind off of all the hustle and bustle of the holiday. But hopefully you are safe. We at Why Watch That just want to say happy holidays to you. We are so thankful that you've supported us over the years. And if if you're new to us, we are thankful to have you here. We are not finished with talking about what gives us great joy, and that is entertainment via television and film. So with all that being said, sounds like you've got a lot of living to do for the holidays. Stay safe. And we love you here at Why We Watch. Or Why. (laughs) (laughs) Little too much eggnog, might I add. (laughs) Um, But we love you here at Why Watch That. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.